to sing his praises, to fellowship with one another, and to learn more about him. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together.
worship today. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. Things in the bulletin uh, announcements for you. Again, we're we're collecting jars for the next oh month or so. Uh, we got about uh, maybe fifteen or twenty this week, so we only have about one hundred and eighty to go. Uh, so, uh, if you have a few uh, lying around that you'd be happy to willing to donate, that'd be great. Um, we're just collecting these for an event on May eighth. So we get those by then, that would be terrific. Thank you. And it doesn't have to be the quart size. If it's a little bit smaller, that's okay as well. Uh, but we'd love to get about 200 of those that uh, we can use as a part of a, an event that day that will, uh, in the long term as well. Uh, there are a couple of inserts in your bulletin, again, about uh, helping out with children's ministry, uh, children's church and nursery during the summer months. And so we uh, encourage you to, if you can, participate in that ministry. It's a great way to connect with our little ones and to show the love of Christ to them as we uh, take our responsibility seriously about nurturing their faith in Christ. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has blessed us with. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare your Your presence. 
spend some time praying together and, and if you'd like to come use the altar as a place where you offer your prayers as we sing that chorus just one more time through softly and if you're not going to come here to pray please be seated but if you'd like to use the altar as we sing just come up and join me as uh, we move this time of praying together Lord I need you oh I need you every hour My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Father, we come today because we need you. We need you in this moment of worship. We need you in every moment of our lives. And we come acknowledging that you are the answer to our needs. So this morning, Father, we pray for uh, the needs that uh, we bring with us today. The needs of our lives, the needs of our church, the needs of uh, the communities around us, the needs of the world. Father, this morning we pray for the needs that we bring with us today. Some of us are feeling a sense of grief and loss and disappointment. Some of us are are concerned, anxious, worried about the future. Some are wrestling with a, a struggling relationship. Some are dealing with issues of health. This morning we think especially and pray especially for Barb Rangel and Bill Duzema, for Bob Jobert, Rich Reynolds, for Calvin and Laurel Buecher, for Warren Woolsey and Bill Getty, for Phil Muker and Mike Raybuck. We pray for Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, for Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar, and for others who are on our minds today. 
And we ask for your healing grace in each one. Father, we thank you for this church and the ministries of this church. And today we especially pray for our finance committee. As we're in the process of putting together our budget for this next year and thinking wisely and, and having a degree of faith as we do this, we pray that you will give them wisdom. Father, we pray for the churches around us and we think of the Angelica United Methodist Church and Pastor Crowell. Pour out your blessing upon this church as they minister to one another, as they minister to the community of Angelica and beyond. May they know your grace with them. And Father, we think of the world beyond us. We continue to pray for the people of Flint, Michigan, as, as uh, they are coping with the, the water situation there. We, we pray, Father, for refugees fleeing Syria and other dangerous places of the world. We pray, Father, for places in our nation and the world where there is so much violence and chaos and conflict and ask that you would bring peace. And Father, we pray for uh, the work of your kingdom in Haiti. This morning, Pastor John and our District Superintendent Joey Jennings and Kim Gladden and others are there in Haiti exploring how we can, we can partner with the church in Haiti. And we pray that you will do marvelous things today and in the time that they are there for long-term connections that will help the church in Haiti be what you want it to be. Thank you for the good things that are happening there. May it continue to grow. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world and think especially of Cuba. We thank you for the, the doors that are opening in Cuba and miracles and conversions and, and so many things happening there. And yet, Father, we know that there are still restrictions. There are still difficulties. It's hard to to just change your mindset, the mindset of anxiety and fear and concern after all of these years, we pray that you will bless the church there in Cuba. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for answering in the way that you know is best. We offer them all in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 3, and after the reading, children may be dismissed for children's church, but there's no junior church today. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. 
he will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together.
Please be seated. Resurrection is one of the most phenomenal gifts, maybe probably the most phenomenal gift that God has given us. This idea that because of Christ because of his death, because of his resurrection. The day is coming when, despite the fact that we will die, we will be raised to new life. And for those who are in Christ, we will spend eternity with God. And the question that comes to our minds is, is as awesome as that is, is what is that going to look like? And we talked last week about how the, the promise of the new heaven and new earth means that if we are bodily raised, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, because Jesus is bodily raised, and it's this new heaven and new earth that probably our existence, I think at least our existence, and a lot of other people as well think this, will be on this restored, redeemed earth that God has created. Because what he's created is so awesome, and he's, he's going to continue it. But he's going to restore it, he's going to redeem it, and we get to be a part of that. And as a part of this, of, of, as redeemed people, as resurrected people who are living on this earth, the question that comes to my mind is, what are we going to do while we're here? Now, I was growing up, I always had this picture of eternity as heaven and this place of where we, you know, we'll sit around and praise God all the time, which is awesome, but, you know, after a while, it's like, how much of that can you do? I remember in seventh grade being asked by our youth leader, so what do you think heaven's going to be like? And for me, the best thing I could think of was a never-ending baseball game. You know, it just goes on and on and on. It just, that could, for me, that's the most, that was the most awesome thing in the world to envision of joy and something I wanted to do. But what we find when we read the scriptures is that when we, when we inhabit the new earth, a, part of, a big part of our existence as we are praising God and glorifying God will be that we will work. We will do work. 
Now that's rooted in the fact that at creation, when God creates the world and brings it into existence, he says, he gets to the end of the sixth day and says it's finished. But the fact that it's finished doesn't mean that it's perfect. That may be a concept that's a little bit new. It was a little bit new to me as I began to ponder it and read about it. But it makes sense because it Being finished means that God has done everything he intended to do, everything he designed to do. He created the world exactly the way he wanted it. And then when he created human beings, he said to them, now, take care of it. Go and do work. And in a sense, God is saying, I have done everything for you that I intended to do. Now, you go and you make make it what it's supposed to be. Nourish it, tend it, restore it, steward it, take care of it, work it. And just as Adam and Eve need the earth to nourish them, the earth needs them to nourish it. And there was a sense of Adam and Eve, they could have sat, I mean, they could have sat around for a long time on the earth and just let things happen. But God says, no, I want you to work it. I want you to, 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 be involved in completing, in perfecting, in continuing what I've created. Now, that is sort of a different mindset than I typically had because I used to think that work was a part of the curse. Right? I mean, you know, I mean, I, when I was in high school, I, I got a job working at a meatpacking plant, and, and I, I loved the fact that I had money in my pocket and I had enough money to buy a car. But what I didn't like was that because I had to work, I didn't get to do a lot of the things that my friends were doing. And and, and there was this, when I was even before that, you know, my work was mowing grass. And, you know, I didn't mind mowing the grass so much, but there were a lot of days where I would much rather be playing with my friends than mowing the grass. And somehow in in my mind and my ability to think about things, work became a, a bad word. It became a negative word. And something in my mind was thinking, when Adam and Eve were created and God put them in the garden, they just sat around all day. I mean, you know, doing nothing. It was leisure, relaxation, rest. But the truth is, they worked. And the reason they, they worked is because there was great joy and fulfillment in work. What we're really, the work is not a part of the curse. Work is a part of, of, the, of the joy that God gives us of participating in his purposes. And we get to do things in the world. We get to create and we get to make things better and we get to learn and we get to grow and we get to develop and we get to help one another. And that's, it's all a part of working. And instead of seeing it as something negative, it is a gift of God to us. Because we all know those moments in our work that everything clicks and it's like, wow, this is awesome. Those aha moments of learning and creating. When we come home from the end of the day and yes, we're tired and we're worn out. But it's the kind of tired that is fulfilling because we feel like we've done something good. That's a gift from God. And I think, because it's a gift of God, I think when we get to eternity, we're going to continue to work. Because there will be no end to the joy of creating. No end to the joy of learning and exploring. 
When we get to, to the, the resurrected state, when Jesus ushers in his kingdom and all of its fullness, and we live in the new heaven and the new earth, again, we are not just going to sit back and do nothing. We're going to work, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be fulfilling, and we're going to continue to develop and grow and learn and create. Because what we're really doing is expressing the image of God. Now, when we get to heaven, I don't know, when we get to this new heaven, new earth, I don't know exactly what we will do, but I'm pretty sure there will be all kinds of work, all kinds of jobs to do. The thing that worries me about this is that I'm not sure there's going to be a need for preaching in heaven. That kind of makes me a little nervous because I got, quite frankly, there's not a whole lot else I can do. You know, I'm reminded of the cartoon I saw where the, the guy's in, in heaven in the clouds and he's, he's holding up the, like, the sign, John 3.16. You know, I like to do a lot of the sporting events. And the guy next to him says, hey, look, you don't have to do that here. <laughs> There's sort of that sense in the back of my mind about that. And yet at the same time, I think, I think maybe there is a need for that. Because there's no end to learning about God, no end to understanding the things of God. I don't think we're going to get to that place, the new heaven, new earth, and all of a sudden we will understand everything the way God does because then we will be God. And there is such joy in learning and discovering and creating. And it really is the image of God. Eugene Peterson says the first thing we, we see about God is God working. That's the very first thing the scripture tells us about God. In the beginning, God worked. God created. It is, it is who God is. It's the nature of God to work and to create, to do awesome things, to be active. God is not passive. God is active. He works and he loves to work and he loves to create and when we do that, we are simply bearing the image of God in us. Jesus says, uh, well, Genesis says that we're created in the image of God. And Jesus tells us in John 5, he says, my father is continually working and so am I. Work is a part of who God is. It's a part of the nature of God. The problem for us is that because of sin entering the world, we now have a skewed view of work. We read from Genesis 3 a few moments ago. I don't know if it struck you, but it struck me as we were talking about uh, God's word to the serpent. And he said, you will now eat dust. And I'm thinking, is that where that phrase came from? I don't know. I, you know we always do scripture about that. But, but he, we, we look here and we find that now the work of the ground... It's going to be hard. Well, before the earth cooperated, now the earth's going to fight back. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And I think it's because of that that we have this skewed view of work. And what ends up happening is that now we, we find ways of working that are harmful, that don't look like the image of God. See, in the image of God, I think the calling of work is to is to be a catalyst for the flourishing of what God has created. 
When we are doing what God wants us to do, when we are creating, when we're doing, we're bearing the image of God, we are creating, we are working in such a way that it adds to the flourishing of what God has made. And that includes human beings. And that means there there is some work that doesn't contribute to flourishing. In fact, it detracts from that. It, It is destructive. That is not appropriate work. And so we see through the scriptures that people are continually falling into the trap of doing work that manipulates and takes advantage of people and hurts people, harms people, destroys people. And God is continually warning his people against that. And so there are passages like Leviticus 19 that says, give people what you owe them at the end of every day. Don't make them have nothing, don't, don't make their, their work such that when they work, they don't get paid so they can't eat. Don't take advantage of people like that. Don't take advantage of people who are most vulnerable Do work that adds to the flourishing of society and culture, not the end of it, and to people. And it's not just about people. It is the sense of flourishing in all that that it means to exist as the earth, as people. So that our work adds to the flourishing of culture and society. It brings about good to our world. In um, Exodus chapter 1, we, uh, we have a, a sense of, of, of the Israelites. So it gives us a picture of the Israelites in Egypt. And it talks about how the Egyptians uh, treat them so poorly. And they treat them as slaves because they are. And, and I, as I've pondered that, I'm discovering that that's not the only way to be a slave to work. And, some, and, the, and the skewing of work that sin has done in our psyche and in our world is not just about work that is, that is destructive, but it's about work when work enslaves us. And work enslaves us when it controls us. That we exist for what work is going to do for us. It's all about self-fulfillment. And instead of using work for good... For in a wider sense, we work is only about us getting more. It's about it's about work that that just brings us more wealth, more influence, more power, and that typically is work that is counterproductive to God's people and God's creation flourishing. In um, Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are those who bring peace to the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. And what's their reward? They'll be called children of God. They're people who look like God. People who create an atmosphere of shalom. People who create an atmosphere of good. An atmosphere of justice. An atmosphere that is fighting against the evil that is so prevalent in our world. This is the kind of work that that God desires. 
But I think one of the struggles we have also about viewing work and one of the reasons that we allow work to entrap us, in fact, one of the signs that we know that work is enslaving us is that we have a difficult time keeping Sabbath. When work is enslaving us, Sabbath gets pushed aside. When work enslaves us, we become what we often refer to as workaholics. And that means that work is driving us. Work has us around the neck and it is squeezing. Work keeps us in its clutches and everything about our lives is designed to fulfill what work is making us do. It's controlling us instead of us controlling it. And and one of the signs of that is a difficulty, unwillingness to keep Sabbath. What's the point of Sabbath? Sabbath is to remind us that we're not controlled by work. That work isn't the last word God is. And work can be awesome and it can be good and it, and it brings, does great things in our world. But like everything else, work can enslave us. Remember, Sabbath was instituted not as a response to the fall. Sabbath was a part of creation. God instituted Sabbath before anybody sinned. Sabbath was a part of how God created the earth. Because we need to rest. And, and because now sin has, a, has such a temptation, work is such a temptation to us to be enslaved by it, we need Sabbath even more. And when we're unwilling to practice Sabbath, I think it's one of the signs that work is enslaving us. It's driving us. And instead, when we take Sabbath, we're taking a step back and saying, as valuable as work is and as awesome a gift as work is and the ability to create and do as much as we love that, there is still something bigger than that, and that's God. And work cannot truly fulfill us the way God can. Work is one of the tools God uses to bring joy to us and to bring fulfillment to us. But ultimately, work is only what it's supposed to be if it's done in the perspective, in the spirit of Christ first. And I think that's a hard one for us. It's so easy to skew that. Because work can, does bring us fulfillment. Work does bring us wealth. Work does bring us influence. Work does bring us power. Work does bring us so much of what we want. And we get hooked on that. And we want more. And we think it can be the end that we're looking for. And Sabbath reminds us that it can't. It doesn't. But I think it's also a sense of one of the reasons we do that is because we have we have sort of a I think sin causes an atmosphere in which how we value work gets twisted. And and I think I suspect that you're sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, if work is about flourishing and work is about creating and doing, then is is does my work fit that? Does my work accomplish that? And I think the reason we ask that question is because we have trouble assigning value to work. 
in our, in our culture, in our society, and in, in, in the way that we think, we tend to value some work more than other work. And we do that in the church as well. In the church, we, we've assigned value of, well, this is, this is more important, this is more spiritual, this is, this is better. And, and I think that's wrong. It's maybe more visible, but it's not better. Because everything we do that looks like God is work that ultimately helps God's creation, God's people flourish. And a lot of what we do is behind the scenes. A lot of what we do is unnoticed by most people. But it's important. It's good. It's valuable. And the problem is not that we might be doing work that people don't think is important. The problem is we have a skewed view of the value of work. When you look at 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the body as a, as a metaphor for the church. And he says the body has all kinds of parts. And some of them are more visible. Some of them we value higher. But the reality is all of them... Every single part of the body, what you can see, what you can't see, what we tend to value and what we tend to not value, is important for the body to do what it's supposed to do. And the same thing is true of the church. The same thing is true of society. And sometimes, part of our issue about valuing work is that, quite frankly, maybe we don't really like our work. Maybe we're doing something that isn't, doesn't feel fulfilling. Maybe we're doing something that, that, you know, it's just, maybe we hate our job. And maybe the answer to that is, maybe we're not using the gifts God's given us, and so we need to think about doing something else. But sometimes we're in a position where we can't do something else. And it's in those moments where we have to step back and see God at work in what we're doing. And I'm not just talking about work that we get paid for. Work isn't just what what people are willing to give us money for. Work is all that we do. Because sometimes, and and places in life, sometimes experiences of life, we, we are unable to have, unable to do what we want to do. Maybe the circumstances of our family make it such that we're not able to do what we would really love to do. Maybe the circumstances of where we are in life makes it impossible for us to do what what we might want to do. But we are still able to work, to create, to help the world flourish. And maybe it's in small ways. Maybe it's in ways that no one sees, but God sees. When I think about how God creates, you think about what God does in those first six days of creation... Quite frankly, most of it is not really that spiritual. And a lot of it is is not even that necessary. But it's good. And it's important. And it's all part of, of the flourishing that God intends for what he creates. And when you and I do what we do to build to create, to help people, to repair, to restore, to encourage, to love. 
to help people live their lives more productively, more effectively. Whatever it is that we do, given to God, is good. And I think it would help us all tremendously to see that. And sometimes our work feels fulfilling and sometimes it doesn't. That's true of all of our work. But we give all of it to God. And we find in giving it all to Him that that is an opportunity for us to give glory to God. Jesus says in, his, in John 17, I have done on earth the work that you called me to do to bring glory to your name. And I don't think that just means the last week of Jesus' life or the last or the three years of Jesus' public ministry. I think it's all the 30-some years that Jesus lived. I don't think the first 30 silent years that we really don't know that much about is unimportant to the work that Jesus does to bring glory to the Father. And some people might look at those first 30 years and say, well, Jesus really wasn't accomplishing anything. But he was. Whatever he was doing, maybe as a, as a carpenter, whatever it was that he was doing was good. And it was helping people in their lives. It was creating an atmosphere to help people flourish in this world. And all of that is good. All of it is good. Because creating, repairing, restoring, renewing, building, transforming, helping, all of it is a means of creating an atmosphere and being catalysts for the people that God created and this world that God created to be a little bit more flourishing as God intended. It's a gift that God's given us. And we need to give thanks and to give and be grateful for the fact that God loves us so much that he's willing to let us participate in his designs on all that he's made. I was reading this week a, a book in which the author talks about how, the, how though none of us are God, we are representatives of God. And as representatives of God, really our task on earth is what he's called playing God. And he said, that may sound a little strange to you, but he said, I really do mean that, that we are playing God. Because if you look at a child playing what are they doing almost more than almost always what a child is doing when they are playing is mimicking what they've seen adults do and when god gives us the privilege of working of doing he's given us the privilege of doing what he does And that's a reason to give thanks. And that's why we come to this table this morning, to give thanks. And to recognize that that this table is, 
is representative of God's great gift to us in Christ. And not just about our souls, but about every dimension of our lives. And all the things that we do and all the ways in which God works, we give thanks for the gift of Christ and for all of the gifts that God has given us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter about resurrection, and he gets to the end of it and he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, whatever you do for the Lord is never useless. It's never useless. And my prayer is that God will give us a new vision about our work about what we do, about how we contribute our little bit of making this world more and more of what God created it to be in his grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of work, the gift of creating and of restoring and renewing and transforming and the privilege of our small part of moving your world to what you created it to be. Father, we thank you today for this gift and all of your gifts. And we pray that your blessing will be poured out on the bread and the cup of which we partake today. We pray, Father, that, that it will be food for our souls and every part of our being. And that it will give us the ability to get a glimpse into that day when we will live renewed, restored in your new heaven and new earth. We pray this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup and again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're going to receive communion this morning by mode of intinction. Just means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altars always open if you want to stay and pray. I do have, uh, we have trays in the back. If you would prefer to be served in your seat, we're happy to do that. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with the desire to, to know Christ and And to be filled with the spirit of Christ. Come, receive these gifts. Our gracious, loving, heavenly father.
And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.